we all grieve differently. Men and women grieve differently because um, we have different hormones. Of course, we all have little bits of these hormones, and men and women have different, more or less, of each one of these. Of course, women have more estrogen and prolactin. You need the prolactin for tears and for, uh, for uh, 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 when you're lactating for having a child. Um, oxytocin comes when you look at a child or look at a little kitty or uh, you see children around you, hear them laughing. Um, we'll get oxytocin. And so oxytocin is that feel good. When you watch a, a Hallmark movie and it makes you cry good tears, that's the oxytocin going through our system. Uh, and then we have the nasty cortisol, which is the stress hormone. That is what turns the president's gray in several years. Uh, that's what causes a lot of our own uh, wrinkles and pains and because cortisol is killer cortisol, it's called. Uh, those high levels of stress hormone that need to be neutralized. They are for immediate stress or stress, re flight or flight response an animal has. If it's got a fight or flight, it gets tons of cortisol to, be, or like a, to lift up a car. It gives you this adrenaline and, and epinephrine and these things that course through your system, but it's meant for momentary. Now, when we're in grief, we may be having cortisol long-term. Uh, we're always processing this flight or flight response, and it's very damaging to our system, and we can age a lot faster. So it's important to balance it out with oxytocin and find those things that produce the oxytocin to balance out the cortisol. And women have an easier time to do that because they have more of those hormones. So, and so I talk about different between men and women. Um, male and females are different uh, because of those hormones and the amount of the hormones. Uh, females can talk a great deal about their problems, and men usually go away and reflect and, and in the garage or go hunting or find yeah, they're more quiet about expressing their grief when women can tend to talk about it more often. And these things are genetics by the brain uh, and the hormones that we have. Uh, is there any difference between the male and female brains? Well, if you look at this chart, you see a little bit. This is actual a joke, of course, but uh, babies, respect, security, shoes, talk, love, sex, beer, sex, beer, food, football. It's just men's brains. We think differently, women think differently. So just to know that we have that difference and don't expect the other one to act or grieve as we do because uh, we are built so differently. Male versus female traits. These are listed in order of, of how they happen most. Uh, women are more sensitive, men are more dominant, women are more warm, men have more emotional stability, men, women are more apprehensive, men are more rule conscious, women are more tense, women, men are more vigilant, self-reliant, you can go, it goes down the list. Uh, and these, when you get to the bottom, you know, a lot of these intermingle between men and women, obviously, because we're, we, we overlap in so many different ways. So these are general characteristics uh, that we know and can look, look out for and identify. Um, and as far as tears, there's actual physical difference, you know, that um, women cry more sad tears, men cry more glad tears. Women will cry during a sad movie, men will cry when their football team wins. They're so excited and they're jumping up and down and tears are running from their eyes. And, and, and so that's a difference in types of <coughs> So are, we react differently. Um, in fact, physically, if you look at the lacrimal gland above the eye, that what holds all our tear, that's our tear reservoir, so to speak. And when someone says, well, woman, she just can't hold back her tears, because they, we have a, you have a smaller lacrimal gland. Uh, so men can hold their tear tears back until they can find a safe bath, a safe place, or men gulp a lot, or they'll drink water a lot because it will gulp the tears down the back of their throat instead of out their, their ducts. 
But women have a hard time holding that, so they come out the, out the tears very, very easily uh, because they just cannot hold them back. So it's just interesting that, to note that we do have these physical differences. Uh, and then the communication is so important between men and women and everybody and how we communicate. I do communication classes, too, for people at work, to how people communicate with each other by their personalities. And so we learn each other's personalities, which we're going to go through a little bit later. But what are you saying without saying a word? When we're dealing with people that are grieving ourselves or we're talking to helping someone else or understanding how they're not talking or communicating to us, we can tell exactly how they're communicating. The better we get on our our body language, um, our countenance, our face, our facial expressions, uh, the things we use, the tone of our voice. Because the only 7% is a spoken word. It seems crazy. But 55% is our body language, and 38% is how we say things. Uh, and that's why texting is so – we need an emoticon to be able to really identify what we say in a text because it can be taken so many, so many ways. So now we move on to the line. You know, our mind is our resource to help us through the grief journey. So we educate ourselves and we journal. So right, if I had not journaled, my wife had not journaled 31 years ago, we have I would have never written the book because I could remember stuff. I couldn't remember anything. You know, so we've written it down. It helps in two ways. Uh, one, it helps, helps in many ways, rather. But it helps in one way that... Um, you'll have it for further information down the road. You can look at it like a chart or like a diary or a calendar and say, oh, this is what I was feeling then, this is what I'm feeling now. But more importantly, it's like in taking notes, if you take notes while you're at a class or doing something, it's not so important you take the notes because you can reread it or read the book or watch a video or something, but when you actually take notes, it cements it into the brain much better. So we educate ourselves, we research. Uh, and now we're talking about the body. Uh, we look at stress and people say it's so stressful and it's a bad thing. And stress is a good thing. It helps us stay alive. It, it, the, you have used stress, and good, uh, used stress and distress. What we're talking about with grief is distress, and that's what we talk about. But used stress is the good stress, like taking a test, getting ready for a trip, uh, getting ready for an interview uh, where you're confident, but yet it's still stressful. Um, so... Here's some pictures of, of a soldier to show you how the body, the hormones it's produced from the cortisol of being uh, in flight or flight response in a continual mode. This is a man before he went into the service. You can see the apprehension and the fear in his face. Then when he's in active duty, he's even more fearful, but he is becoming hard and scared to death that he may die, and his body is reflecting that. Now he's become a hardened, he's in PTSD. He has to do what he has to do. He does not think of, of what needs to be done uh, on the right side of the brain. He's totally in the left side of the brain, logical. Check the perimeter like the caveman guarding his cave. That's all he does. And it, that's why PTSD is so problematic with uh, soldiers coming back, um, that they're still in this after state. And they need to deprogram almost themselves to get back um, to before state. And that takes a long time. And like in the brief parent journey too, the PTSD, that we become used to living in the middle, the active. We become used to living in that, and that's how we look. Afterwards, we become jaded or, or uh, not healed or stuck in our grief the rest of our life. Or we go back to before uh, and how we were before. But it, 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 we need to take our body, mind, soul, and spirit back to that to find that balance to get us to that, that before state. Because it's so genetic. I mean, it's so uh, body, mind, 
and brain. When we have grief brain, our, amyg our, uh, our enlarged amygdala, our amygdala holds all the, uh, all the bad memories and all the, pe all the horrible things that are going on in our grief are right? stored in the amygdala and it grows and we're, we're thinking that all the time and it overshadows the shrinking hippocampus uh, which holds the good memories, you know, and so when they come when you come back and you have PTSD You have you have this is what your brain looks like Well, we do mindfulness and, and and doing things to relax and to work on our our brain body mind soul and spirit We can shrink the amygdala put into perspective the pain and the horror and, and not relive it every time we think it but to recognize it as it happened it's historical that is not actively happening in our body and our brains now. So on the counter side of the flight or flight response uh, is the parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest. And that is what allows us to relax and counteracts the deadly effects of the cortisol. So it's finding that balance. Either you can't find balance and you need, if you put a pencil in your mouth, it forces you a smile and your body actually thinks it's smiling. So it starts to react toward the rest and digest because it thinks it's happy. So when we fake it, do we make it? Yes, it, it helps us through it. So we can fake it till we make it. We can put a pencil in our mouth to help our body stop the progression of the, of the horrendous pain that it keeps activating and keeps trying to reactivate. And simple things we can do, uh, slow rhythmic diaphragm breathing. I was talking about using the diaphragm before, using your diaphragm to breathe. Humming, the vagus nerve is connected to the vocal cords. Humming, uh, the slow om sound uh, in, the, in, in Western or Eastern meditation. Om sets up a vibration in your chest, which helps restore the vagus and it puts us into the parasympathetic, uh, parasympathetic state. Washing your face with cold water. You've heard for years, go splash some cold water on your face. That is just not to wake us up or make us feel better. Uh, meditation helps by getting mindfulness. Um, and then balance in the gut microbe, as I talked about earlier with probiotics. If you have a healthy gut, because we have two brains. We have a, 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 our brain brain and we have our gut brain. But our gut brain has as many neurons as our brain brain does. So they do communicate back and forth together on a highway across this vagus nerve. And so we try to, to kind of slow down that traffic is what we're doing with mindfulness. And there's a simple maneuver you can do. Uh, you may have done it on the airplane when you unplug your ears. It's called the Valsalva maneuver. You find yourself getting anxious and just getting wound up. You do this. You plug your nose and blow out just like you're blowing your ears out. And that resets the, the vagus nerve as well. And then we're going to talk about spirit, that connection of spirit, um, that we are still connected to our loved one through an invisible circuit of energy uh, that I believe that we can connect through continuing connections. And my whole workshop, Whispers of Love, is based on that. So I'm just going to touch on it here a little bit on the signs, dreams, and, and synchronicities uh, that we can have um, during the, the grief journey and how helpful that can be. Um, when I first wrote my book, uh, I did it because I, I, I asked my son for a sign uh, in a letter that I'd written him in letters to my son. I wrote this letter in February, and so that spring, a cornstalk grew up in my yard. I quit mowing the grass. Three cornstalks grew in my yard in a perfect triangle. And then I won 
It grew an ear of corn, and on December 1st, on his angel day, December 1st, a morning dove flew over that corn stalk in the snow, and I went out in my bathrobe, and I said, what am I supposed to look at? And I picked the ear of corn off, off the, it was still all, mold, it was wet and icky, like it was rotting. But when I pulled the ear back, it had stained the husk, capital D, capital A, D, in mold on the back of the husk. It changed everything for me, everything. It I, I thought, oh my gosh, my son got back to me with a message. I asked him to get back to me, and he did. That's when I wrote my book. It changed my whole life, that I know my son lived on in a different um, existence than this one. Kelly was born in November. I, that's wrong. It's supposed to be November 16th, January 16th. I see a typo. But then my granddaughter, Olivia, was born on Kelly's death day. Kelly died 12-1, uh, 1987. 12-1-2009, my second granddaughter was born. A psychic had called me, and I'm not proposing psychics or not at all, but a, a psychic had called me, and she said, Mitch, you remember me from high school? And I said, yes. She goes, she goes I, my, I lost my son, and I became a psychic, and, and I want to talk to you about uh, writing a book. And she said, your son came to me, and he said, she's, and she said, congratulations, you're going to be a grandpa. You're son wants to be born back into your family. And I said, I didn't know what to say. I was speechless for the first time in my life. And I said, thank you, Robin. And I hung up. I called my daughter. My daughter said, dad, she's crazy. I'm on the pill. We have a three-year-old to take care of. We're not getting pregnant. Our house is in foreclosure after the NASDAQ crash. No, we don't have any health insurance. And I said, I'm just telling you what the lady said. And then she called me four weeks later. Dad, I missed my period. I went and got a test done. She went and took a test. She was pregnant. The due date, November 16th, which was my son's birthday. I said, this cannot be happening. It did not happen November 16th. She went into full, she, they were going to have to induce because she was going so late. But she went into labor on midnight, December 1st, his 23rd angel day. And same weight, same length. If you can see the picture, they look identical. And we, they named her Olivia Kelly. And now she's 10 years old, and she talks about Uncle Kelly all the time. She's seen him. Uh, he has spoken to her. Um, get, just amazing, amazing things that have happened and transpired since this, this, this has happened. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit more about, I mean, you know, she was a year old, just walking, and she got paints, and she was, had these paints out, you know, just make kids' drawings. And she wrote Kelly. She signed her name, K-E-L-L-Y. She, I mean, she's only a baby. She doesn't even know how to write or talk or anything. And so it, it just happened again through the years, so many different times. Now she's up, up, growing up. She looks like him. She loves Uncle Kelly and talks about him. And, and, and then coincidentally, or is it not coincidentally, um, when Olivia was born in 2009, my first cousin's daughter, Leaf, was born on 12-1-2009. My twin sister who died, who had left behind twin babies, um, she lost her two sons, but she had 18-month-old twin babies, boys and girls. And her, her first baby was born on December 1st as well. And so she named her little girl Carmody after my twin sister. And it gets better. My tw I was born in 1955. There's my twin and Sandy who died. Then her, she had these two babies. 
this is when when she died. She had these babies, Danny and Amanda. All these years later now, my Amanda has a second child. And on the same day, her twin brother had a child. His wife had a child, a little boy, and she had another girl. But now they're, they live, they moved to Florida, are living together. These kids have, they got, it's like the Brady Bunch, but the twins are, they call them cuz twins. The cuz twins are living together. And they are just like spitting images of three generations. So there's so much magic and wonder uh, in this journey. This has been 31 years that these things become evident because I'm willing to listen, willing to look, willing to comprehend and understand that these things happen beyond our understanding. So and letters to my son. Now this this is the book. I want to show you that, not to tout my book. The reason I'm talking about the book is that I want to show you a picture of another sign that my wife and I had this summer. And it was an artist, a 70-year-old man who retired. And there was a piece of stained glass hanging in the window. There's stained glass hanging everywhere because he's a stained glass artist. And in our little tiny Airbnb, I was in heaven seeing all this artwork and stuff. And uh, a little dumpy, but it was so neat. My wife loved it, and, and it was so close to the lake. And um, when the, it was kind of gray, we noticed there was stained glass in the porch, but really didn't notice it. It looked like a vase. But then when the sun came out and shone through the vase, it was a picture of our son, a picture of almost this book in the vase. And I ran to the house, and I talked to the artist, and I said, uh, Sir, I, you've got to come out here and see this. Did you put a face in this vase? He goes, no, it's just glass I put together as a vase. Well, I said, I want to show you this. So he came out. He was shocked. And this was staying in, in that porch. And it was full of junk. It was like, you know, it was dusty. It had been hanging there for years. If we had not seen this, this is now hanging in our condo in Prescott. And we look at it, the sun coming. We see his eyes. We see him smile. Maybe not everybody sees it. But I know many people that have seen it and said, oh, my God. How can this still happen? This is on soul because this soul, the, the decision maker the, that we have, when we get input from body, mind, and spirit, decision maker, we have to listen to that input and decide what do we do with our life? What, how do we react to that? We're at a crossroads. We're at a fork in the road. Where do I go from here? Most of the times we sit at the corner of this crossroads. We come to a point when we need to make a choice. But that's the individual for everybody. Some people can camp at this, at this, why on this road for 10 years. Some people can take either road that first couple months. Even though it's not advisable to make a huge choice, life-changing decision in that first year, uh, because just, you know, we may not even sign paperwork right, you know, unless we have somebody helping us. So who am I as a griever? The power of vulnerability. Sorrow makes us all children again. It destroys all difference of the intellect. The wisest know nothing. Ralph Waldo Emerson said that. When we're grieving, we are thrust just like a child. That first year of grief, we are like an infant in our loss. Then, we're, then the second year becomes, it's worse than the first. We're, we're the terrible twos uh, in our second year in our loss. We're a toddler, learning to walk again, learning to find a new life that... that that is different from the one we had before. We fall and we hurt. We want our mommy to pick us up and kiss our booboo. We want to feel better. We don't understand how we're hurting and why we're hurting so bad. So that second year and third year, until you get to almost the fifth year, uh, like we do in Erickson Erickson's uh, uh, Eight Stages of Man, when a a five-year-old reaches autonomy, and they get friends at school. They don't need their parents as much for every little thing. And, and so in five years in grief, we 
reach some level of autonomy and then we're on our own a little bit more. We have not survived the journey completely. We're only five years old. So it, it, it's, it's a lifelong process. And if you can correlate that with starting all over again and you know that, you can truncate those years. It doesn't have to take as long as it did for me to reach uh, a, a level of serenity in your grief. So who are you as a person? You can take a personality test to find out who you are. Many people have. And most people are uh, familiar with the, the, uh, the big five or with the Meyer-Briggs mostly. The Meyer-Briggs is who are, you know, your INFJ or ENFP or whatever. But you do that whole thing, and you can never remember an INFJ from an ENFP. Uh, so I came up with a new modality that I think we can kind of uh, help ourselves find out who we are as a person. And it's actually a test. Uh, but the, I take it from the Tao, which is the, has a pi, five personalities, but it also, in psychi psychology, there's the big five, which these mimic the big five. Uh, this is just showing there are people that are in their fire. It's the fire is the sign. It's loving, passionate, emotion, passionate people. Their emotion is happiness. Wood is an action maker. The plan of the doer, emotion is anger. Earth is sympathetic, thoughtful. The feeler, emotion is empathy. Uh, water is a creative, sensitive, effective, wise person. Their emotion is fear. Metal is a chronic griever, insecure, hopeless, and their emotion is grief. Now, if you think about the five, you are you going to remember fire, wood, earth, water, metal? Probably not. So I, I've, I've gone to a new – the test is about who are you in the 100-acre wood. Most of us are not familiar with Winnie the Pooh, and these are five major characters in Winnie the Pooh which parallel with the big five and the Tao. And you go to the grief group and you see Pooh in the back. back. Um, he's just normal. He seems to be so good. He comes to every meeting. He's whistling. Uh, he goes to work. He has coffee at the same uh, uh, deli every day or goes to Starbucks. Or, I mean, he has the same stool he goes to. And when he can do that, when he can maintain his routine, that's when he feels better. So people can look and say, oh, my God, Pooh is not grieving. He's so normal. He's doing everything normal. He's like, he's not grieving. Well, no, Pooh is grieving. He's just doing it his way. He's drawing to his strong suit. So then we move on to rabbit. Many people are familiar with the rabbit. They're the organizer. You, you don't have a good uh, compassionate friends or a grief group where there's salt without a rabbit in it. You need the organizer, the one that run. And people will look at the rabbit and say, oh, my God. Uh, they are running from their grief. They are running. They're getting away. They're so busy. They're organizing themselves. They're at work over time. They're doing so much because they're running from their grief. They're not grieving. And they need to see somebody. No, they're a rabbit. They're not running from their grief. They're running with their grief. Rabbits run. They're drawing to their strong suit. They run with the wind. They like to run. So they're getting stuff done because they get stuff done. It makes them feel good to get stuff done. Then you have, of course, the piglet, the feeler, the hogger, empathy. If you have a piglet in a grief group, you're going to know the piglets in a the grief. They're the meet you at the door. You need a, they, they, they're usually the door person at a grief group. You, you don't put an ER at the door, you send a piglet. They run over and hug you, and they greet you, and they talk how you're doing and how your child. They wear butterflies, ever, everything, and they have buttons on of their child, and they talk about their child. They talk about your child. They'll bring uh, food to the group that was their child's favorite food. And that's what people say, oh, my God, they're over the top in their grief. Well, that's what piglets do. 
they, they can't help themselves. They wear their emotions on their sleeve. They hug. They cry easily. They, they cry. They talk to you. They ask you how you're feeling. They are wonderful. They are an important part of the grieving process. So then we move on to the owl, the thinker. You see him in a grief group sitting in the back, hasn't said anything in three months. He's ah, he needs to see somebody. He hasn't said a word in three months. Just ask him. Owls are thinkers. So, and they are great counsel. So you need, you know, people say, oh, they need to see somebody because they're not, they're not divulging. No, they are there. They're the, they are a background support that are always there and val very valuable in the grief journey. Eeyore, of course you have Eeyore, the procrastinator, the crier. People think this is the, uh, you know, the epitome of grief. Well, we all go into our Eeyore when we are grieving. Uh, but people that are Eeyores are naturally Eeyores. You know them. You know, they'll be at the grief group, and, and they're there all the time. Uh, don't say much. They'll, they'll help. They'll bring, oh, I'll go get the ice, or uh, I'll set up tables. So they don't need to see somebody at their Eeyore. They, are just, they need to talk to friends. They like to be with friends. Eeyores will be your best friend. They are your best. They will stick through you through thick and thin. They will give you the best shirt off your back. They will later complain they gave you the best shirt they had, but that is an Eeyore. So they are part of the group. So we're all part of the 100-acre wood. Then who, uh, who you may ask is Tigger. Well, he is not one of the five personalities. He represents those people that jump on us. Are you over it yet? It's been three months. They, they keep asking questions we don't have the answer for, or they're shit on us all the time. Tiggers only jump on people they like and people that they love not on people they don't love. So sometimes you'll have someone pounce on you and say something really stupid. We can correct them or we take their heart intent. If their heart intent is there, accept that heart intent. Correct them if they say something stupid. At least people that say something inane are taking the risk to say something because they love you. Um, so let's consider the source of who's saying it and why they're saying it. So who's Kang and Rue? You may see Kanga and Rue, she's got a child in her arms. And we go, oh, there by the grace of God go I. She has a child in her arms. She's a happy mom. Hi, I'm a bereaved mom. How come she has to have a child? Well, we don't know if she has other children, lost other children. We don't know where Mr. Rue is. Maybe she's a bereaved single mom, a bereaved widow. We don't know. Well, who is Christopher Robin then? Christopher Robin is who created the wood. Who created it? Uh, so, but Christopher Robin re represents like the, the, the God or the, 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 the faith that we have that comes into our life to help us during this process. Not to help us get through it all. We need to get through it on our own. And that's the 100 acre wood. We have everybody there to help us in our grief. Uh, but God comes through to help us once in a while to give us some direction and then leaves the 100 acre wood. Leave us, give us some advice, give us some help, give us some faith, and then we can do things on our own. So Christopher Robin said to Pooh, if there is a tomorrow when you're, we're not together, there's something you must always remember. You are braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. But the most important thing is if you were ever apart, I'd always be with you. While Eeyore frets and Piglet hesitates and Rabbit calculates and Owl pontificates, Pooh just is.